This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 996, A Conversation with Chip Zdarsky. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 996. It's another conversation with Chip Zdarsky. If you want to check out my first conversation with Chip, you can check out episode 484, which was posted back on June 8th, 2017. So it's crazy to think it's been five years. Uh, if you do go back and listen to that episode, it's definitely one of my favorites and one I talk about a lot because it's one of my my longer interviews that I did, which was just under three hours, but also is the has the um, distinction of being the only interview with a comic book professional that was actually done in my own home, as at the time chip was living in toronto so we were local to each other so we just kind of came over sat on my couch and chatted about comics for about three hours which will always be something i remember and and, and think of fondly um so this time uh chip is very far away from me he is uh he's in british columbia in canada he's living on an island and he's ch- you know chats and chats about comics and gets a little philosophical at times uh, i really thought this was a really fun and engaging conversation um we actually in some ways didn't really get too deep into some of the comics i just kind of wanted to know more about kind of his headspace and what it was like to create in certain different environments and what it was like to say goodbye to sex criminals and, and what that meant to him in his career um, as well as obviously what he's doing now. Um, if you go back to that original conversation, um, I make a, jo- a joke at the beginning that uh, according to Comic Book DB, which is not a website that's currently active anymore, but uh, it listed a date of death for Chip Zdarsky uh, and I jokingly asked him about it and he had said that it was probably going to occur in the middle of signing a contract to write Batman and here we are five years later and he's right Batman on the regular, uh, not just a miniseries or you know in a backup somewhere, but actually writing uh, the core Batman title. Although he is actually working on a maxi series as well, Batman Knight. Um, but uh, we, we talk about that as well. Anyway, so uh, I will stop uh, ram- rambling on and on because you're here to listen to Chip Zdarsky talk about comics, and uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, it was a really enjoyable conversation once again. You can email me at the Comic Shenanigans Podcast at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Although I will say, I guess there's not much point to subscribing to the show much longer since it is ending with episode 1000. Uh, so we're almost there. Um, but uh, I'm really glad I got a chance to sit down one more time with Chip uh, to talk about his career in comics. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So thanks again for listening to this episode. And I'll jump right into the uh, conversation as I welcome back Chip Sadarsky to the Comic Shenanigans podcast for his second visit. Enjoy. Chip, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. How are you today? You know, I'm just taking it one day at a time. <laughs> so serious to start the podcast. It's so serious. Yeah, I'm, I'm the serious writer now. <laughs> Did you know that? I, I, I get that impression sometimes. You started with a, with a you know with a dick joke book, and now you're very serious and writing Batman. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the dick jokes were all quite serious. <laughs> That's um, very true. Yeah, more. I mean, they're they're more adult than uh, Batman, obviously, because I can't put dick jokes in Batman. Can you imagine if you could? Like, do you have a dick joke that you're like, oh, I wish I could put this in Batman? <laughs> Ooh, geez. It's kind of, it's tempting now that you mention it. <laughs> so I want to say, so the last time you were on the show, so it's one of the, my, my most notable interviews because it was the only one that was ever done inside my house uh, with a comic professional. Oh, yeah, yeah. So 
thank you so much for coming over and, and doing that conversation. Um, I yeah. whenever I go back to it, I always laugh because I remember my son kept walking downstairs into the middle of our interview, and so you were very gracious because every time he would come down, uh, I would be my my back would be towards him, so you'd be like, oh, it's a PG podcast now, and that was our signal uh, that I would know that it was time to stop the recording and go take him out of the room. So you were extremely um, gracious and generous with your time. So I've always wanted to thank you again for being so polite and being so nice with my son around and uh yeah for you know again coming over to you know a stranger's house and just talking about comics for almost three hours so i I really want to say thank you to that oh god it's my pleasure and also it's been so long he's probably like 18 years old now we could actually say whatever we want in front of him pretty almost yeah yeah it's pretty pretty much true now speaking of that last interview I, i went back and i listened to it just as a, you know, kind of remembering what we talked about. And there's one thing that did stick in my mind and I thought was funny that, um, you know, there used to be the website Comic Book DB, which is unfortunately kind of gone now. Um, yeah. But at the time it was there and they had a date of death listed for you. So we chatted about, you know, how you were going to die. And you actually yeah. said that you were probably going to die in the middle of signing a contract to write Batman. And so now <laughs> you did not die and now you're writing Batman oh full time. <laughs> Oh my god, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so you survived long enough to actually, you know, be writing not just Batman, but uh, Batman miniseries is going on, or I guess Maxi series right now with uh, yeah. uh, Carmine, who, who's one of my favorite illustrators. So I'm so happy to yeah. see you guys working together. And you're writing oh, Batman. Awesome. So is that kind of a crazy fever dream that not only are you writing and launching a new Daredevil title, but also you're, you know, launching a new run on Batman as well? Yeah, it's been a weird month. And also, I mean, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that um, I'm living in the woods on a <laughs> tiny island. So it, it doesn't change anything in my life at all. <laughs> so that's that's the really weird part. Like, you know, because I launched, we launched Daredevil the week before it was Batman, and the week before that it was Public Domain. So it was like all these kind of like, you know, should be kind of life-changing, momentous books. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm still wearing the same clothes eating the same meals like looking at the same trees uh i don't know nobody (laughs) nobody's banging on my door in the woods to like sign copies of batman and i physically haven't seen any of the books either which also makes it weird oh yeah you don't have any copies yet no no because like i'm not even i can't even really get mail here so you know in toronto uh, my studio all, all the comics get sent there because mm. um, I still have uh, my place there and like we have no storage out on the island so uh, and it's so hard to get the mail here that I'm just like I haven't updated any of that because I, I wouldn't even know what to do with comics when they showed up so <laughs> it's been months and months in which I actually haven't seen anything I've worked on so it's it's super weird it's surreal because it's like oh yeah no, well, Batman that's amazing but also all I do all day is I just I, I type words into this little box in front of me and I send them off and I get little digital versions of the art and I approve or you know letter or whatever and then uh, I just move on I start typing on the digital box again like <laughs> nothing in my life has changed it's very weird is, now what, what was it about you know, kind of moving to a secluded island that kind of appealed to you, or was it just something as a, as a natural reaction to pandemic that everyone's hunkering down anyway? I want to be in an even prettier place. Like, what was it that kind of prompted this? Yeah, I mean, it definitely kind of started with the the pandemic because um, my wife's family lives out here in British Columbia, and so we spent a big chunk of the early days of the pandemic out here um, uh, with her uh, parents, uh, and then you know we. I, 
I fell in love with British Columbia and we kind of really wanted to like try life outside a city and uh, it seemed to agree with us so we're kind of like keep pushing more and more into the idea of <laughs> living uh, deep in the woods um, yeah 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 I think a lot of people kind of left the cities uh, during this period um, partly because it's like well, why are you in a city if you can't enjoy a restaurant or a movie theater or you know why are you paying the extra <laughs> to be in a city um, uh, and even now with you know the city's getting kind of back to normal it's like well you know I don't actually miss that that much um, mm-hmm. enough to visit but maybe not to to be around now are you are you taking a, like a, a page out of Jim Zeb's book and and can, can, you know becoming a, a master of the culinary arts while in your pandemic mode or are you less well, he, less that way he, he was he was like that pre-pandemic <laughs> um, he was he was definitely kind of inching towards uh, a culinary master um, I, 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 I was I was pretty good at at, at the cooking before this and uh it was the, the I don't know if it's funny but um uh just before the pandemic I I went vegan and like I was just like oh this is gonna be so hard cause like I just love pizza and restaurants and it's so hard to eat in <laughs> restaurants and then it all shut down <laughs> so it was like like oh I guess I better learn how to cook this stuff and uh and it actually it made that transition quite easy because once you had to make every meal at home, it was like, well, okay, there's nothing to tempt me. Um, uh, and yeah, and I remember like the first day where I kind of wandered around the city and like restaurants were kind of open. And I just remember looking at the menus and being like, oh yeah, this stuff. Oh god, I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 everyone does kind of again go through that kind of early pandemic mode, I mean, obviously, comic creators are kind of ideally suited to kind of go through a pandemic in a lot of ways because yeah. besides for the, the convention aspect which I'll get to in a second but I mean a lot of your work is you know as you said kind of sitting in front of a box typing words into it and then seeing what it looks like later as opposed to a lot of people were you kind of laughing at people freaking out about how to work from home? Um, <laughs> I wasn't doing much laughing in those early days <laughs> That's fair <laughs> Um yeah, I mean, like, all my neighbors kept kind of making the joke, like, oh, you're used to this. But I'm like, yeah, but I'm also worried that my industry is going to collapse. So uh, those early days were, like, I didn't even have, like, the time or the the the, uh, the, uh, the headspace to, to be like, oh, okay, like, I can do this because, like, I've been doing it like this for a long time because everything else around me was changing was kind of so drastically. And, like, yeah, like, those early few weeks um, not knowing if Diamond was going to keep going uh, being owed a lot of money for a lot of places <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like oh okay yeah maybe maybe I'm done maybe this is done um, so so all the stress of that kind of <laughs> balanced out my uh, my bragging to my neighbors uh, that I know how to work from home so you speak about obviously like a very kind of interesting transformative kind of moment for the industry where as you say Diamond kind of goes goes dark there's no comics being released for a couple months and no one knows what's going to happen like what how how much did that terrify you as a I, I hate to wait say content creator but uh, as someone who you know creates stuff and suddenly your main medium to do that is kind of being pulled out from under you how did you feel like how scary was that yeah I mean it's a weird thing because it's uh, there's also the, the aspect of like, oh, what I do is uh, useless. <laughs> My job is useless. 
Um, it doesn't help anyone. <laughs> it's going to be no good in an apocalypse. Um, so I, I had those thoughts going on. Um, but also, like, I was I was super lucky. Like, I, I looked at a lot of my kind of creator friends and um, what they were dealing with, and uh, it was really rough. But uh, I was at a point where just prior to the pandemic um, I opted not to um, sign an exclusive with Marvel uh, and so that freed me up so I could actually go do DC work kind of during the pandemic when the Marvel stuff was slowing down and nobody knew what was happening um, so yeah being a free agent in kind of those first few weeks and months um, helped me a lot you know the, the, the big concern was mostly the um uh, the diamond situation with image mm. because um, I was still doing sex criminals which was the majority of my income and uh, if diamond wasn't paying image then image couldn't pay me because it's, it's a direct it's a direct line because the way it works there is we make sex criminals uh, diamond buys them uh Comic shops pay Diamond. Diamond takes that money and then pays Image, and Image passes that along to us. Like it's a very straightforward thing. Mm -hmm. So I think I had like three or four issues in which uh, I hadn't been paid anything on them, mm. and all of a sudden I was like, "Oh yeah, Diamond isn't really paying right now." I'm like, "Oh god!" Like that's you know, three or four full issues of Sex Criminals is uh, is you know not nothing <laughs> no it's a lot especially when you do it basically for nothing to start with because the, the, the way the deal works like we, uh, I don't get a page rate so uh, all that money kind of comes in three months after an issue uh, is on the stands so that, that part was pretty stressful for sure now in kind of I guess still in that first year of the pandemic but obviously after the initial blush is over then you launch Stillwater what was that experience to kind of launch something while the industry is, you know, was trying to figure itself out and kind of get back on its feet? Was that scary? Did that feel like an opportunity? Because, you know, a lot of people were turning to comics and that kind of stuff during pandemic reading. So was it an exciting opportunity or was it still scary when you launched it? Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible um, because uh, so much of it was kind of out of my hands. Um, because when it was launching, like it was still, there was still that kind of that immediate aftermath not just pandemic but of the George Floyd murder mm. and so like none of it felt important and it felt absolutely stupid to like have a press release in which I say I'm excited about anything because I wasn't like I just genuinely wasn't at that point you know I was proud of the book but I'm just like I just wanted it to be pushed like a year mm. uh, but but the, it was already in motion because uh, it was with Skybound and you know they put it in the catalog and I think we put it off until like the day before the catalog came out to put a press release uh, announcing it because uh, nobody wanted to sell anything like I didn't want to mm -hmm. uh, so that was that was yeah that was stressful and weird and uh, <laughs> yeah not not the best of, of times and it just kind of goes again to what I was saying earlier how the job felt really stupid at, at that stage um you know, I, I get that, you know, people get enjoyment from the comics and, you know, I, I enjoy making them, but but ultimately it's just like, oh my God, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, 
know, my psyche's rebounded a little bit from that, um, not fully, um, but yeah, that that was that was a hard a hard time. Well, how would you, given how you felt about that and the, the kind of internal struggle you had about you know doing something that you felt like didn't matter, or, you know, like even though you you know understand obviously that it, again it does give entertainment and enjoyment, etc. How yeah. would you contrast that with how you felt previous? Like, did you were you just like oh we're all having a fun time, and then suddenly the world got too real, and is that kind of what led to that kind of not crisis of faith so to speak, but like this kind of hard taking a hard look at what you do and with yourself? Like, was it? What did you look like before that? Yeah, it was weird because like I, I did a weird progress from working at the newspaper to doing comics. And when I was doing illustrations for a newspaper, that really felt like nothing. Like that felt like just window dressing mm-hmm. to accompany an article. Um, and and I had kind of a weird kind of mental crisis about that. And when I started doing the comics, uh, especially with sex criminals, I was like, oh, like people are getting a lot out of this um, and going to conventions and signings and having people tell you, you know, their, their stories of coming out or their first time having sex or, um, you know, people, people got married through that book. Like um, all those things felt nice, fun and important. Once, once I started kind of doing the Marvel stuff, that felt less so um, like nothing's ever going to kind of top sex criminals in terms of like, that level of kind of reader engagement and kind of helping people while producing a weird book uh, filled with dick jokes. Um, whereas the Marvel DC stuff just didn't feel as important. Um, even when you're trying to like instill something in the story that maybe could help people or shed a new light on something, um, it still felt like, oh, maybe I'm not hitting the audience that I want to be hitting. Um, so, so that's always a bit of a struggle. Is it? It's weird because I mean, obviously, Sex Criminals was such a huge book, and it was a signature book. But it was also the kind of you know your your major first you know kind of hello coming out party in comics. Yeah. And yeah. then and then you kind of and then you do you know the big two stuff. Do you feel like you almost wish you'd done it the other way around? And something like obviously you couldn't do it that way because you had to make your name before you know the big two would really do stuff. But do you almost wish you had in some ways that you kind of got to do you know the the bucket list stuff and then you did the the impactful stuff? Um. It's a weird it's question. Weird. It's weird because it's usually the it's usually the, the reverse. Like what happened with Matt is how it usually happens. Yeah. Or like or Brian Vaughn or you know um, or Kirkman. Like like you, you, you do maybe you do your, your your kind of like your smaller independent books and then that gets noticed by Marvel DC and then you kind of do that you kind of perfect your craft build an audience and then you go launch your image book and if it, if it hits like that's fantastic and that's what happened with Matt like I think he was kind of burnt out and he was kind of done his time at Marvel when we decided to do Sex Criminals and then he had the one two hit of like Hawkeye and Sex Criminals mm-hmm. and uh, and that's a great arc like like to kind of like you know toil on kind of the independent stuff get into Marvel kind of get burnt out on it but you know <laughs> the bucket list and then have the, the this big um, thing with this totally new kind of fan base um, and, and for me it was just weird because it was like I was working at a newspaper just kind of doing my own little comics once in a while and then it was like just being thrown onto a stage and just being like holy I feel like the Beatles this is nuts <laughs> um, and then having the, the opportunities for like the Marvel DC stuff after uh I, I, I'm old enough because I was like 38 when we started doing Sex Criminals and it was coming out I was old enough to not or to 
old enough to recognize that this is it. Mm. Like this is this is going to be your big thing. Anything beyond this will be nice, I'm sure. But um, I never. I think if I was younger, I'd be like, "This is amazing, and it's going to be amazing forever." And like everything I do is going to be a hit, and you know, because I've, I've seen some people fall for that trap. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I, I had the. I think I had the, uh, the the foresight to see that um, that was going to be my biggest thing, and then everything after that will just be fun. Like if I can have fun doing it, and you know maybe make enough money to pay my rent, that's great too. So um, so yeah, I don't I don't wish it would happen any other way because also the nice thing about the sex criminals. Uh, book coming first and the reaction coming first is that when I walked into Marvel um, it didn't matter Mm. like I wasn't I wasn't like you know I didn't have to say yes to all the books that were offered I didn't have to like you know uh, crumble whenever uh, uh, anyone like raised their voice to me like (laughs) not that that necessarily happened to Marvel but like but like I could just walk in and be like, hey, I'm Chip. I do sex criminals, and now I'm writing Howard the Duck and done some Spider-Man. Like, that's fun. <laughs> like, and I get paid for it. All right, that's good. But sex criminals was still the thing that was paying the mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I think I think the one arc, like the Matt arc, um, is super fun. Like, that's great seeing that all pay off and then have that kind of that, that big thing. Um, but my arc has made the Marvel DC stuff uh, easier on a, a level that Matt never experienced. Hmm. What do you think it would take for you to feel more burnt out on superheroes? Then, because I mean, you're doing—I mean, you're doing two big superheroes right now. As I said, we're doing Daredevil, and Batman, and in tandem. Yeah. So, how do you keep it from being something that would drain you, or is it because you're still doing stuff like Stillwater and then your new book that you just mentioned, like that you're doing these other things so that you're not just doing on the superheroes? Is that part of what helps stave off that sense of malaise? Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 as you were talking, I kind of pulled up my project list, and I've got like ten projects. <clears throat> Pardon me. And like three of those are superheroes. Okay. So it's like it's it's actually not too much. It's uh, yeah, and like you know when you're done with a thing, mm. right? Uh, I think a lot of people have kind of gone through Marvel DC. Most of them kind of hit a point where like, okay, I've kind of said all the things I wanted to say in this genre, and then they, they go off and, and do something else, um, or try and subvert the genre to kind of the thing they really want to write, um, which you know that could be pretty hit or miss. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I might be done after this. I got their kind of Daredevil, Batman. I got like a, a little Marvel thing as well. Yeah, after those, like, um, uh, I, I I may not have anything else left in the tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but also like I, I always approach every project with when when I, I when an editor asks me to pitch on a thing, that's when I start thinking about it. Like I don't sit around going like, oh, I've got this Captain America story in my head, and I just need to <laughs> get it out there. It's always. Um, I get presented with the the title, the character, and then I have to go away and think, oh, is this something I want to do? Something I can do? Is there a story I want to tell? There there have been cases where I've been offered, like, kind of dream books, and 
I've, I've said no because um, even if it's a dream book, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have the thing for this. Mm. That doesn't feel repetitive or you know, well trod. You know. Do you think that's because, as you said, like you kind of, you know, you're. Your big, your—I I hate to say it's just your big break, but you know, sex criminals yeah. coming as relatively late. I, I mean, like some people, you know, kind of jump into the industry relatively yeah. early, but you were mature enough to be able to kind of see certain things and understand certain things, so that maybe that's why you know you don't feel like you have to jump in every every opportunity, like you said, that you can kind of think about it and say, like, this would be a dream book, but I don't have the thing for this, so I don't have something to say that's going to be new, that's going to be, keep me into this, and that's part of that you know kind of emotional maturity that you have as a writer to kind of you know take stock of it and say, I don't just need to jump on dreams. I have to be able to say, am I actually going to be able to, you know, do a good job with this. Yeah, and also, um, it wasn't my career path at all. Like, I, there, there was there was no point in my life where I was like, one day I want to write Spider Man. <laughs> I guess I, I just didn't have it. Like, I enjoyed reading the books, and when I was in high school and younger, like, I would you know make my own kind of like fan comics of those characters. Um, but once I hit college and became an illustrator and started working for a newspaper and writing and drawing for that, um, I just enjoyed kind of making my own kind of comic hop to the side. But uh, there was no part of me that thought, oh, well, this will open the door to Marvel or DC. Like, you know, I worked in studios with guys that worked for those companies. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that looks fun, I guess. <laughs> and I, just, I would just go about doing my own thing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was it was really weird, and also yeah, it makes it a lot easier because I I know comic creators, especially at Marvel, who live and breathe this stuff, but they love it, and I I, I quite enjoy comics, um, but these guys like live it, and it was all they ever wanted, and they got there, and like, uh, and it, this was just the industry was like made for them. And uh, and I always felt a little bit outside that because like I, I, I enjoy it I appreciate the comics um, I've been a fan my whole life but it was it wasn't a career goal so uh, so everything just feels kind of fresh and new when uh, I get offered a project. If you ever kind of walked away from comics or just was writing something else, maybe you you know became a Fabian ACSO later in life where you're just writing novels instead of you know instead of, instead of writing comic books, would you still would you still be reading comics at all, or would it be part of you know kind of your sphere? Or would you find your would you do you think you would be someone who would just kind of naturally kind of you know slowly move away from it just naturally? Um. I'm sure I'd still read comics. Like I read comics before. I'll read comics after. Probably be less of the Marvel DC stuff, but only because like I've been, just been in that world for so long now. It feels like you know, reading a lot of books for work, reading a lot of you know uh, books that friends have made, and unless it's something really genuinely interesting or new, um, which is getting harder and harder to come by. Uh, it just it just doesn't interest me. Um, but again, like if one of my favorite creators is doing a book, I'm like oh yeah, it doesn't matter what the what the character is or the genre, I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, besides Marvel DC stuff, like I'll probably always be like a comics reader, image reader, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I want to ask about a few things that, I mean, it's interesting. So we've had like five years since we've last, last spoken on the podcast. So you've done like an, a, a lot of stuff in that five years. Um, so picking and choosing things to talk about was interesting. But one thing I was very curious about um, in, I guess, late 2017, you did a series of uh, quote unquote, how to draw a variant covers. And I'm just curious about those because yeah. those are so much fun. But I'm curious, like, whose idea was that to even get you to do those? Uh, or did you pitch those? Or how did the, where did those come about? I, I don't even I don't remember the actual origin of it. I know it came from Axel. Okay. Axel Alonso, who was editor-in-chief at the time. I think it was just like a weird Axel phone call where um, – because I was supposed to do kind of a run of variant covers before that that I had to not do because I was working on sex criminals. Uh, but then he – I think he had the idea where he just thought it would be really funny if I just did like a how-to. And, and I think he just had the idea for one. And, uh, and I just – I sketched that up and sent it to him he's like oh we need to do more of these and so I ended up <laughs> I think I ended up doing like 20 it's funny I, like, I, I did enough that I, I kept telling him like you should just put these in a comic like just like a how to draw Marvel book <laughs> and it's just all these dumb covers um, yeah those are those are yeah those were a lot of fun to do I kind of wish I had more time to kind of do stuff like that um, but yeah sadly to only so many hours in a day when you're writing goddamn Batman <laughs> Like, how many of those have you had uh, had kind of sh- uh, show up at conventions to sign? Oh, all of them. All yeah, of that's, them? that's that's the best part. Cause like, <laughs> you know, I did them, send them off, and, and uh, didn't really think about them too much after. But whenever I would do a show, like, uh, invariably, I'd, I'd sign all of those at some point during the weekend. Uh, so you kind of get to experience it all over again with fresh eyes. That's the nice thing about kind of getting older and doing so many projects is that you completely forget your jokes. Uh, and so when someone brings something of yours and they point out like a joke you can read it and you can laugh too because like oh yeah who wrote that oh it was me weird <laughs> so in the interviewing time actually I think right when we had our interview we, you had just been announced to be writing an upcoming uh, Spider-Man book which was then Spectacular Spider-Man so I'm curious what that was what that experience was like because as you said it wasn't necessarily like one of your goals to like write Spider-Man but here you are writing an ongoing Spider-Man book a quote unquote a B title like it's not amazing but it was a fantastic book that you put together so what was it like first oh, thanks. getting that gig and then kind of developing it and then also getting uh, I mean part of your work I guess that you got the Schuster Award for was when you were writing that book and then obviously you also got the Eisner Award for the best single issue. So first of all, yep. what was it like working on that book? Were you surprised by getting the Eisner? Where is the Eisner? Uh, it's obviously, <laughs> hopefully it's it, you know it's it's somewhere safe uh, in in Toronto where I can't steal it. Um, and uh, what, how do you look back on that on that run? Yeah, I mean, okay, that's a lot. Let me unpack it. Is it is a lot. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, it was a fun gig. It was weird. Um, it, I think it happened mostly because I kept kind of turning down stuff <laughs> uh, and I think maybe someone at Marvel was like well he keeps turning down stuff We, he must be really good or something <laughs> and so they ran out of things to offer me and um, it happened because Spider-Man Homecoming was coming out I believe and um and they realized that Amazing Spider-Man had Peter Parker running Parker Industries uh, and was like a globe-trotting businessman. So the movie version did not reflect the comics, uh, and the comics didn't reflect the movie. And so they're like, they needed a title which had Peter in New York, in which he 
barely or briefly mentioned uh, Parker Industries, and they want they wanted you know they wanted the, the classic kind of New York Spider Man. So that was kind of what they laid out for me, and uh, and yeah, yeah, it was wild because like being teamed with Adam was very daunting mm. uh, because obviously he's a legend, uh, but he's also just like the sweetest, nicest man. It turns out, so that's fun. <laughs> Um, it was very surreal um, flying to Marvel uh, to New York to uh, have lunch with the editors and Dan Slott so Dan could just tell me everything that's happening in Amazing Spider-Man so I so I would know um, that was really weird because I was reading the book and I love the book and I was just like I'm having it all spoiled for me by the guy who writes it. And so I should have been more excited. Uh, but I was just like, oh, man, like, oh, and then Norman does, oh, jeez, what, what, oh, Red Goblin, what? Um, that, that was that was a very strange uh, lunch. But it all went really well. Uh, and, um, and it, you know, it was also the first kind of higher tier book where I realized I had to kind of turn off the internet a little bit. Um, because uh, as soon as I was announced, I just started getting like messages and emails from strangers. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wager a guess that there are dudes uh, telling me how to write Spider-Man, <laughs> <laughs> or being like, I think you'll agree that Spider-Man has been bad for the last 15 years and uh, not the character <laughs> that uh, we think he should be, and uh, you know how to fix it, and uh, he's got to kiss Mary Jane. Um, so there's a lot of that. I was like, oh, this is a different kind of experience from writing Howard the Duck. So I had to kind of shut down all the ways to contact me. Mm. Um, and once I did that, it became a lot more fun because <laughs> I could just do what I wanted. Uh, and yeah, it was like, it was fun. It was a crazy pace on the book. And I know Adam really wanted to draw every issue and then he couldn't. Um, and I think that was frustrating for him. Uh and, and yeah, like uh, towards the end, it wasn't as much fun for a variety of reasons. But um, I think I think I left the book because they're doing they're going to do a Spider Verse thing, mm-hmm. and they want they wanted me to write uh, like a Spider Verse kind of crossover event thing. And uh, in our book, I already had kind of like a multiverse kind of hopping universe's mm-hmm. uh, storyline and I was like well I don't want to do it again and so uh, so I just quit I was like well I kind of felt like I was done like I felt like we were kind of wrapping up um, I kind of told the story I wanted to tell I wanted to do that one um, uh, single issue that I wrote and drew and uh, and uh, maybe one more with Adam but that never happened and uh, and yeah so I just kind of said like yeah, yeah, I don't think this is for me. Um, and I think I'm done here, so it kind of had no hard feelings. Uh, uh, and then uh, and then uh, left the book. So, yeah, yeah, that was a little weird, I guess, <laughs> to just, like, <laughs> to just leave a Spider-Man book. But, um, but yeah, once you, once you kind of know you're done, you're done. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if I just kind of pushed it and kept going, maybe I could have come up with some fun stories, but... Um, they just they wouldn't be the stories that I necessarily wanted to tell. Well, as you said, I mean it's it's part of you know the good and the bad part about working for one of the big two is that sometimes there are going to be crossovers and there are going to be yeah. things that you know kind of you know 
are going to take over or at least pull some focus or make you tell stories that may not have been your first choice. And, you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. And some people are, are, are love that stuff. And, you know, as you said, you'd already worked in the book for a while. Like, it's not like yeah. you had just been on there for like one arc and said, oh, it's, you know, see ya. You, you know, you had done a run. And, you know, and you ended on, you know, again, an Eisner Award-winning issue. Uh, so if you're going to go out, go out, go out like that. Yeah, and it was it was a weird thing too because it wasn't just a crossover. Like they wanted me to to write the event book, um, but also they had like kind of a checklist of things they wanted from the book. It all came together really quickly. That's the other thing. I think it was kind of like a not to be too crass about it, but I think it was like kind of a fourth quarter financial requirement mm. um, that they realized they needed to have like some sort of big event. And so it was happening so quickly uh, with this like kind of editorial checklist of what needed to happen. And I was just like, well, that's not how I really want to write a story. So um, that, that made it easier to, to walk away as well. Mm-hmm. So where, where are your Eisners right now? Cause obviously you have, like, <laughs> is it four or five of them now? I can't remember exactly how many. Right now. Uh, I, I don't, I don't you don't, don't keep track of your eyes you have too that's, many that's as shitty as it sounds um, I think it's three I think uh, there's three I think, it's but, four. Um, I think it's four I think it's one best new series from 2014 uh, what else is here we got uh, 2017 best humor publication uh, oh, free yeah. work on Jughead 2019 best single issue one shot and then uh, yeah. best digital comic for Afterlift Oh yeah, four. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so uh, does that seem yeah, unreal so, to you that like that's that somehow you have four of those? Um, as unreal as any of this uh, mm-hmm. feels. Like uh, I think uh, kind of awards like that are just so much a product of the time. Mm. Um, like it's funny. Like I think of like there are so many artists and creators and books that have never been either nominated or won. Eisner because um, it's such a popularity contest like if you're popular in that year and you're not up against something that's more popular then you win <laughs> true but like like I'll, I'll probably never win one again like I think uh, I think yeah I can't I can't I can't see them kind of going back to the old Chips Zdarsky well on, uh, <laughs> on the Eisners <laughs> at this point um, so it's, it's nice to have them uh, it's weird to have them and uh, those are surreal evenings um, when uh, when you win one, mm-hmm. and they're also kind of uh, a little bit shitty ones when you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the nature of any award show, I guess, right? It's nice if you it's win, true. and not so much if you don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one thing I do want to talk to you a little bit about, or just to ask some questions about, is uh, Spider-Man: Life Story. I mean, it's such a fantastic book. Um, oh, thanks. I own it, I think, four different methods now. I, I bought the original <laughs> singles because they were so great, and obviously that came with digital copies, and so yeah. I just loved that. And then uh, it came out in trade, so I'm like, well, i got to have this on my shelf. And then yeah. Marvel does a very Marvel thing and does the annual. Um, yeah. And then it's, but you now have to buy the hardcover to have it in a collected format. So uh, I'm like, no, all sorry. right, I'm in. I'm doing this. I'm going <laughs> to follow this story as many times as they publish it. So um, what, what has the reaction to that been like for you, and did you expect it to be to kind of hit as well as it did because it is such a I, like, I don't even know part of me wonders how you pulled off this magic trick because um, it's so wonderful and so well put together with so many nods to continuity um, yet still telling an, like its own original story in its own way that I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of flabbergasted every time I read it that it's just as good as it is I, I mean I tend to not have expectations about anything in life 
um, uh, which you know I have friends and family and loved ones who uh, that bothers. But <laughs> 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 I, I don't I don't really show uh, uh, excitement for anything. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean I don't know. Like with any book, you just kind of try to make the best thing you can. I was super lucky that. Um, uh, Tom Brevoort was the editor on it mm-hmm. uh, because he's the best editor in comics and also he knows the characters at Marvel and he knows all the history and the continuity um, so having him be on this book uh, I, I don't think it would have turned out half as good without him uh, being the editor on it um, and then we got Mark Bagley yeah like that's nuts so um, it really was up to me to really screw it up. <laughs> um, but it was such a it was a fun process. It was such a I never worked on anything that was such a uh, puzzle to solve like that was. Um, like so many discussions and notes back and forth with Tom about the various decades, and um, I had to read and reread uh, all of Amazing Spider-Man just to kind of like. To kind of figure out exactly the kind of moments that I wanted to touch on, uh, whether I was just relying on memory or Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um, uh, and just uh, mapping it all out. Because like mapping, we had, we had to map out a timeline of world events, mm-hmm. then a timeline of when things happened and when characters debuted um, in the comics. So I could like chart ages and first appearances and uh, and, and and figure out. <laughs> figure out how to tie it all in together like it was such a puzzle um uh yeah yeah i'm surprised i'm surprised it actually came out um <laughs> as well as it did uh and, and also i was like i really want to do those covers and uh, tom was very kind to um to to let me do it because up until that point like really i just done variant covers for books mostly jokey ones but i really wanted them to kind of feel specific like this is a very new thing that you're you're reading um so uh and and it was nice to be able to kind of tap into my kind of my interpretive illustration uh college art mm-hmm. school background to kind of come up with concepts for the covers instead of just like someone punching somebody else <laughs> um yeah yeah it was, it was a ton of fun but but the, the one thing like having mark bagley on the book he came in relatively late i think they needed to solicit the issue oh. uh, earlier than uh, we anticipated again like you know fourth quarter stuff mm-hmm. and uh and so they brought bagley in uh and bagley was like oh i'm starting a little behind on this so i'm gonna try and work a bit faster than i normally do i was like but you're mark bagley like you're the <laughs> fastest guy in the business so all of a sudden we were getting like two uh, perfect fully penciled pages every day wow and like I I, I remember having actual nightmares uh, of, of him catching up to me like it was like Mark Bagley chasing me down a hallway and I'm just like oh no I've got to so like to get the script done in time for him um, that was a, a huge challenge just because they were um, such puzzles and we had most of it kind of laid out but even still like writing them you're discovering new things uh, along the way so I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say uh, he, he was never without script <laughs> <laughs> that's good now I'm, I'm curious how did how did the annual come about then because I mean the series was over and was that something you pitched is like I, I have one more uh, story to tell within this universe that kind of dances within what we already saw or did Tom come up with it like where did this this concept come from to kind of revisit this miniseries 
I kind of Tom already knew that um, I had to cut the J. Jonah stuff. Mm. Um, like originally, I wanted because Jonah basically just kind of disappears <laughs> pretty pretty early on in the book. Um, uh, and like I knew he went to prison, and I knew there was a story to be told there, and uh, of his kind of redemption by the end. So so Tom knew I kind of had that in my head and like life story did well enough that they did the fantastic four life story. And, uh, and I think, I think he just kind of reached out to me and he was like, would you, would you want to do a one shot? Because I think also just like from a commercial, uh, standpoint, like having extra material that you can repackage into the hardcover and stuff, you know, it's like, a, I was in the same boat you were with kingdom come. Mm. Like, I think I ended That's up right. buying like the trade or the collection, because there was like an extra epilogue scene that's right uh, and so it's like yeah those, I, <laughs> so there's a, the crass uh, capitalistic side of it but 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 genuinely I think Tom knew I, I had this extra story um, they needed comics and uh, they knew it worked and also like Bagley um, Bagley needed work as well so it was like because I, I think he was doing Amazing Spider-Man, but he's so fast. I think he just would finish a script and, like, there wouldn't be a new script ready. And so I, I think he drew all of the annual just in between getting scripts. Wow. Uh, I think Amazing Spider-Man at the time. Like, he's just that much of a machine. Um, so, yeah. So it, it, it all came together kind of slowly because it was over, like, I'm going to say – five months that he drew it because he was really just drawing it in between gigs um, but yeah it was, it, was a, it was a story I wanted to tell and uh, um, it's funny I think the only um, one of the only kind of problems with it was I think just sales and marketing we were kind of hoping it would, just, it would be a Gwen Stacy story <laughs> because it's easier to sell variant covers of Gwen Stacy than it is <laughs> of Jameson I'm like hey sorry like turns out she's in it but I can't reveal that <laughs> it's a, it was very upsetting for the marketing team now the um, I, I, it's interesting that you, you kind of given the backstory of like how you already had kind of a Jonah story and you had to cut it because I think it almost probably does work better as kind of just being a whole focused issue on him as opposed to just being you know one of the subplots that is somehow simmering in the background whereas being able to just kind of have it all at once actually probably works better for Jonah's story and giving it more cohesion and then kind of more of a, a, a you know a kind of a punch at the end yeah like uh, it's funny because like when I originally um, pitched the book I pitched it as a Marvel Universe book it was going to be I think we are going to follow like Reed Richards uh, and uh, uh, Logan and I forget who else but they were going to be kind of the main characters throughout time um, and Tom wisely said narrow it down to one character we have to make them we have to make people care about one character you're biting off too much here and so that's how it became Spider-Man Life Story um, but also during the writing of Spider-Man Life Story I'm realizing oh yeah all the secondary characters like it's hard to feel stuff for them when they're only there for like three pages <laughs> and you check in with them like 20 years later um, you know I try my best uh, uh, but yeah yeah that is that is the problem with the kind of story we were telling so being able to do not only the Jonas stuff but also the uh, the, the Gwen clone stuff mm-hmm. uh, being able to kind of wrap those up and give them a bit more weight I think um, I, was, I was grateful I was able to do that 
I always felt you did a remarkable job because I mean, oh, I, I, what is so interesting about it, as you said, is it's kind of nice to like you, you touch in on characters and then you see where they are ten years later. But I, I never felt you know kind of disoriented by it. I was just more intrigued by you know the, the feeling of this time and wanted to know what happened there and always more interested in that. Um, so again, I think that's part of how you populated that world and that you got glimpses of it, like you see Captain America having defected and being in Vietnam. Like you see this stuff, uh, just yeah. tantalizing images here and there, and that's. You know, in some ways, almost more exciting than seeing too much because it lets your your mind wander, and again, it gives you the sense of this grander world that you are playing with. They are not just narrowing it just on Spidey as as much as it is Spider Man's book. He is affecting the universe. The universe does go on without him as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's like that was one of the discussions too when they were kind of pitching the idea of the Fantastic Four life story as to whether or not you we do it all as one universe. Um, it felt a little limiting because uh, whoever did the Fantastic Four one would have to follow kind of my beats. Um, but there is like, uh, I do have the kind of the temptation like, oh, it would be nice to follow this character that we mentioned briefly or follow that character, you know, uh, within the universe that uh, I created with Mark. Mm-hmm. But yeah, next time. <laughs> um, speaking of, I mean, obviously they, they did end up doing another life story book this time about Fantastic Four by Mark Russell. Did you end up reading it? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I, I got to see it kind of in the early stages. Not that they needed to show me as a creative consultant or whatever, but um, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I got to see uh, see it before everyone else, and I loved it. Like I thought it was. I thought it was a smart way to kind of handle the concept uh, without feeling like he was repeating what we did with Spider-Man Life Story. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure. And I, I found, like, you both, in different ways, were were daring with how you were able to approach the material. Like, he was able to kind of play with, like, what is the Fantastic Four? Like, the, not all the members make it to the end. <laughs> and yeah. definitely not, not in any way that we would necessarily recognize. And it's kind of sad, you know, not necessarily a sad ending, but it is a wistful ending. And yours yeah. is kind of the same way, right? Like, it's the end of a life lived. Yeah, exactly. Oh, poor Reed. Um, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was really good. And, um, you know, Marvel's asked me if I wanted to, you know, do different characters and stuff. Um, but I, I actually just enjoy other people doing them mm-hmm. and me getting to read them. Like I would love to, I would love to read a Daredevil life story or a Hulk life story. Um, I think, I think, I think that's a lot of fun kind of letting different creators kind of imagine what a, a real time universe would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did obviously already mention spectacular Spider-Man, but I'd have to go back just for a second. Cause I forgot to yeah. mention like, you know, obviously part of being, a writer at the big two is that sometimes you get to add things to the, you know, add a spoke to the wheel, so to speak. And so you did add obviously a big, you know, game changing revelation with Jay Jonah and Spider-Man. How early on was the discussion that you were going to kind of have Peter reveal his identity? Cause obviously that's going to have a ripple effect on amazing as well. And it's one of those things that happen not in the quote unquote main book, but in this other book, um, but it reverberates among, you know, all Spider-Man stories going forward. What was it like having that conversation about, I want to reveal this? That's funny. I think I I asked for three big changes. Um, and, uh, one of them was the, the Jameson identity thing. Mm-hmm. And another one was I wanted to have Peter and MJ um, back together. <laughs> it's funny, like, the, the editor said, like, there's no way. Peter and MJ, there's just no way. But then when Nick Spencer came on board, I guess he had, like, dinner with Joe Cassad or whatever. And, like, asked him why... The, 
Peter and MJ can't date? And he's like, oh, they can date. That's fine. <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> like, I think everyone at Marvel is operating under the idea. They're like, oh, no, we can never bring them together. Um, so I asked that kind of knowing that he'd say no. And uh, But then with the Jameson one, the editor uh, at the time, Niccolo, he was like, okay, well, how will you undo it? Like he, he, he needed the kind of escape hatch. And I'm like, well, whatever. Like Professor X wheels up in a wheelchair and like wipes his mind. Like that's not a that's not a hard thing to do in comics. Sure. Um, um, there's 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 an easy way to get out of that. But but I pitch it as like basically like how it could reinvigorate that dynamic between the two characters, um, especially when Jameson wants to become like his like right hand man and uh, uh, and you know cause more difficulty as a result. And so uh, yeah, yeah, the editor was good with it at that point, and um, uh, Dan was good with it. And it's one of my favorite memories, really, is of um, reading Amazing Spider-Man and. Um, one of the issues Dan did with uh, Stuart Eminem, um, the Jonah stuff was played a factor in it. It's like Norman having kidnapped Jonah. Mm. And seeing the thing that I've made in one book reflected in another book, I think that was the first time that had actually happened to me, besides like Howard the Duck just kind of poking up in the background <laughs> spots. Yeah. Um, that was a cool thing. That that was the, the first kind of feeling of, oh, yeah, I'm part of a... a uh, a continuity like, like a universe mm-hmm. and uh and that that's 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 exciting and like i kind of have that now with um Electra's daredevil whenever i see her pop up in a book uh, i'm like oh that's so cool like the thing we did over here is over there now well for sure now again speaking to that idea of again sure continuity also had your own you know event uh, occur um, we had a lot of tie-ins and a lot of things were kind of dovetailing into your event. What was it like to be on that end of it? Because obviously, you know, you've seen it happen. You know what happens in other people's books, but this time you're actually the one writing the main event that people are dovetailing into. What was that like? Did it, did it feel weird? Um, yeah, I mean, mostly just because, like, it's so much work. <laughs> like, it was, it was, it kind of just, it was the Daredevil story that kept kind of growing. And uh, CB, the editor in chief, recognized that this could be bigger than what I was pitching, and so um, it kind of went from a Daredevil story to a mini event to a full event, uh, or like a half event, I'd say, based on the kind of the tie-ins. Um, so because of that, you just have to write so much more. Like you have to write like outline after outline after outline and everyone's giving you notes on it and uh, every department's giving you notes and trying to figure that out over a pandemic was just like <laughs> oh it was so hard um, by the time I actually sat down to write the script though it was easy because we'd figured it all out like at that point the trains left the station and you're just like you're just you're driving it down the tracks that's been laid um uh, yeah, this is one of the big things was just making sure that Marco drew it all. Like, he really wanted to draw it all. So we had to really make sure that um, everything was on time. And uh, um, and it was such a hard thing to draw. Like, so many characters. Like, he's on holiday right now, and he deserves <laughs> every second of it. He works so incredibly hard. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was fun. It was interesting. It was big. 
uh, would I do it again? Probably not. Um, but uh, it wasn't necessarily a thing on the bucket list that I wanted to check off. But now that I've done it, I can write it uh, after the fact on the bucket list and check it <laughs> off, you know? Now, I've heard you say in interviews that one of your favorite Daredevil runs is the End This Empty run. So what? What have you have you in your mind? One of the hardest, more of the kind of madcap energy that's in there to inform your Daredevil. Like your Daredevil has been like uh, f- phenomenal, like all the way through. It's been oh, such a thrill ride, and it's been so much fun. And Marco, when he's you know when he's on the Archers, it's just been you know blowing it out, yeah. of, out of the park. But is there something about the Nascenti run that when you write that you want to channel? It's impossible. Like it, it's such a. Uh it's such a wild book with just like such an amazing supporting cast and just cool new characters constantly. Um, it's a big thing I, I try to take away from that run. It's just the fact that um, she followed Frank Miller. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, she kind of just went, all right, fuck it. I'm going to do the thing I want to do. <laughs> uh, which is amazing. I, I think they're some of the best comics that have ever been produced. And her and uh, John Romita Jr., they both lived in New York at that time, and they were able to kind of capture a feeling of the city that, that doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all just kind of like in playing in a weird shadow of New York in the Marvel books now, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate. There's no real kind of way around it, or else you just have like Daredevil going after um, bankers. <laughs> <laughs> or you know weird yuppies do people say yuppies anymore I don't even know <laughs> um, yeah it's, a, it's it's its own thing to never be repeated again um, so they like I said the big takeaway is just to take big swings whenever you can with that title and I think all the writers kind of after her um, kind of felt the same way because you have like you have books that were so distinct from everything else Marvel was publishing at the time um, with, with all the various writers and artists on that title um, it's it's the one place you can go as a creator and be like alright what are, what are we going to do that's completely different from everything else mm-hmm. well for sure so speaking of Daredevil, I mean, so as the Devil's Reign is going on, you also have Daredevil: Woman Without Fear, the miniseries, which pits yeah. uh, Electra up against, uh, amongst others, uh, King uh, sorry Craven, which was yeah. so much fun. And Raphael did such a brilliant job, and, and it just yeah. something about those pages they just they just sang. What was it like to yeah. put a, a character like Craven up against Electra? Super fun because I don't think it has happened before. I don't think so. Like that—that that, that was kind of part of the the draw where I'm just kind of thinking of villains and like, what kind of uh, story can I have for Electra off to the side? And uh, yeah, the hunter and the assassin like that just feels like a natural uh, fight. Um, so yeah, that was that was that was a lot of fun to do. Uh, and, and Raphael like. When he came out of the book, I remember seeing his pages before. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He'd do for this. You know, it's a miniseries, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as he was kind of submitting the pages, I'm like, oh, this guy's got it. Like, he's he's awesome. And, like, at that point, I started having discussions with the editors to kind of get him on the main Daredevil book in rotation with Marco. So, um, so that was great. If nothing else, that miniseries led to Raphael getting on Daredevil, which has been amazing. 
I mean, and uh, Federico uh, Bleed is brilliant colors in that miniseries as well. Like, it just, again, part of really sells the moments, like, because you have some interesting locales, and even just the uh, the flashback scenes are really, like, like, a nice colored tinge to it. So, like, yeah, everything about that book just really worked. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 again, I'm happy that we were able to do it off to the side, like, because there's a lot of discussions as to what to do with the Daredevil title, whether we were going to continue it alongside mm. Devil's Reign, which kind of felt weird, um, and also it'd be like six issues of Daredevil without Daredevil in it, like Matt, um, but then when I came up with the story, I was like, oh, this is a, this is a solid three-issue story. Marvel was accommodating to kind of make it its own kind of distinct title that hopefully will get collected in with the rest of the Daredevil stuff because that's also the kind of the, the weird part with the the Aventus Interruptus yes. <laughs> which is it kind of throws everything off in terms of like um, what comes before what uh, and I know we screwed up uh, too in terms of like releasing the issues like I think we released an issue that revealed that uh Mike slash Matt was killed before the issue where he was oh. killed came out. I was like, oh god, um, yeah, that's that's part of the problem with uh, with the monthly comics. True, but it is interesting. I mean, with more and more people going to you know uh, experience their comics through stuff like Marvel Unlimited or going through trades, etc., that 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 is probably less of an issue than it would have been maybe ten or 15, 20 years ago, um, because now you know people just consume their content differently. Um, so they're like, there are certain comics where I'll read them now and I have to remember what the like what was going on at that time, or like, oh, this is why this is happening, or like, it's interesting as you move away from it, even if it's like three to five years, you start to forget. Oh yeah. The whole universe was different at that time, and this is why this was occurring this way. Yeah, I know. It's such a yeah. Continuity is um, is a real double edged sword, you know. Uh, I find it hard too. Like you know, I'll have friends working on Marvel DC books, and you know, I'll read the first issue. I'll be like, "This is amazing! This is like one of the best comics ever!" And like, I'll totally forget to pick up issue two because it's like a month later. And then when I do, I'm just like, "Wait, what happened in issue one?" Like, my brain can't keep up with it. Um, the timelines are hard. Uh, you know, it's like funny. imagine if like imagine if like you're watching I don't know Breaking Bad or whatever, and like it was like one episode a month, like. <laughs> <laughs> like you would, you would never hit skip recap. I'll tell you that much. No, well, it's yeah. interesting because usually when you hear people talking about how comics are hard to get into, it's ne- and, and people are worried about younger readers finding it confusing. And I'm like, no, they'll roll with it. It's us older yeah. people who are like, oh my god. You know what happened? Like we can't remember, but kids—they're not reading as many comics. They haven't read as many comics, so there's less in there. So they're just—you know—my son will read it and he'll just acclimate. Like I started reading X-Men comics in 1995, which is like a, a weird time to start reading an X-Men comic. And I rolled yeah. with it. I never felt like I was missing out, even though I probably didn't understand half of what I was reading. But if I was reading that now with my, you know, 38-year-old brain, I'd be like, "What is happening? Where are we?" Well, yeah, because that doesn't follow like a standard kind of narrative that adults are used to right? no. so you're, you're in the middle of the story and the story also didn't end so it's like what what's going on here like uh, yeah nothing feels like a single issue anymore no so I'm going to let you go in a moment. I know I promised yeah, you that no it would be about an hour or so, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what it's like to work with DJ Domenico on Batman Night because uh, he's oh been one of my favorite creators for so many years. He's done so many amazing books. So what is it like yeah. to work with him on a, on a Batman title? Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, um, 
the night has been in kind of gestation for a long time. Like that was like another book that I started doing, um, like immediately when I, I didn't resign exclusive with Marvel. So it was kind of a pre pandemic beginning of pandemic book. Um, and Carmine was, uh, brought, he was presented kind of to me, like, what do you think? And I remember looking at the stuff, I'm like, Oh, he's really good. But like, um, like sometimes the layouts are a little wacky here and there. Um, they're dynamic and interesting, but uh, but I was like, this is a really straightforward book in which nobody's dressed as a superhero. So I, I I didn't know at that point like if he would enjoy working on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when we started working on that first issue, there's a lot of back and forth, like with the layouts and the style stuff, um, to kind of really nail down the feel of the book. And, you know, in some ways I probably unfairly put some constraints on them in terms of like kind of working, um, kind of with, uh, with kind of more standardized panels in a lot of places, but, um, but oh my God, he just killed it. <laughs> it's so good looking. And like, like his black and white pages especially in that first issue are just amazing like he's able to get like a tone and a mood across on a story that's just like about like like a young man who's a little angry um but like his use of shadow uh especially in those early issues is kind of masterful and he's fast and he's nice and he's just like he's really into it and um he makes great suggestions and uh, yeah, yeah. I can't can't say enough good things working with him. Um, I was lucky enough I got to write like a, a forward for I think he was in an art show in Italy. I got to write the, kind of the forward for the the gallery book, and like as I'm writing it, I'm just like, oh my god, like I'm gonna miss this guy. <laughs> like <laughs> as I kind of start dissecting and going on about his art, I'm just like, oh man, like this is a really special moment to be uh, working. Um, with him and like I've, I've seen some of his, his work post the night and uh, and and that stuff's fantastic too like he's he, he just keeps leveling up and he's just so so into it uh, it's really infectious working with him on a book I'm, I'm already jealous of the, the next writer who's working with him <laughs> uh, yeah yeah he's awesome and then I have to ask a little bit about uh, you know yeah. the, the current run on Batman that just just started. Um, mm-hmm. Was this something like in your mind that I, again we do, maybe don't have bucket lists in the same way? But you yeah. know, writing the mainline Batman book was that something that was important to you? I mean, I, you, I'm sure you know the story about how when Jim Lee was going to do Hush, they wanted to do it as its own thing, and he wanted it to be in the main Batman book because he wanted to have a run on Batman. Like that was more yeah. important to him to be a part of that ongoing narrative than having this own kind of miniseries that would be his own thing. Was that something that was important to you to not, you know, not, I don't, maybe they didn't ever mention relaunching, but they wanted to go on the, you know, the existing numbering, keeping it going, but actually start a run on Batman proper? Um, I'd never really considered it. Like, uh, I always kind of knew that, like, if I was going to write a character DC, it would be Batman. Mm-hmm. Like that, because. Um, there are characters there that I, I love, but I may not necessarily have um, ingested as many of the the key runs uh, to 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 be able to like hit the ground and running and start writing it. Like you know, I'm, I'm sure I could tell a Superman story, but I'd be like, okay, well, you know, I read a lot of the Bendis stuff, but like, um, and obviously I grew up with the John Byrne stuff, and like, 
you know, some uh, Kurt Swan and like I, I have enough of it that I could write a decent story, but I would have to go back and really kind of do a lot of work to kind of catch myself up to, mm. to know that I'm giving it my all. Whereas with Batman, I've followed it, you know, since I was a kid. Um, like, I know those stories and I know those characters. Um, even though, like, now it's a, it's a little tricky just because there are, like, ten Batman books and another ten Batman character books you know, <laughs> that come out every month. So uh, keeping up has been a bit harder. Um, so, yeah, I always, always thought, like, I would... I'd, I'd work on the character and I, I got to do urban legends mm-hmm. um, and that felt like oh great I got to do a, ba- a modern Batman story like that was I was done at that point really like you know they offered me the night and the, that's been a lot of fun and uh, urban legends was great um, but that would have been fine for me because I, I got a modern book and I got like kind of a classic book um, I can just kind of go off and do whatever I want now but uh, when they gave me the call about the main book I'm like oh Oh, that's a big deal. Oh, oh no! <laughs> like that was a that was a weird uh, call. Um, <laughs> mostly because um, they called me because um, they were losing James because James had just signed a deal to do uh, the year of Substack, mm. um, but also I had just signed yeah. that same contract. <laughs> so uh, James had the the good sense to you know not write Batman during that period and I had the bad sense to yes write Batman during that period <laughs> so how do you manage all that how do you stay sane is, it, is that um, why again that's why you're on, on the island right <laughs> yeah partly um, yeah I mean you're always just kind of putting up the fire that kind of burns brightest but um, yeah yeah I actually don't know like a lot of it's just sitting down and doing the work yeah. you know I've, I've always said to to my friends and family that um, if I was if I had one book to work on or ten books to work on like it was all still get done in the same amount of time like if you give me a month to do one book it's going to take me a month to do it if you give me a month to do ten books I'll do those ten books in a month like uh, I'm sure there's a breaking point there like I'm kind of on the edge of that right now but um but once you once you cut out all the kind of the distractions and the you know staring at the sky and thinking uh, and going for the long walks, once you kind of cut all that out, you just sit down and just be like, okay, I got to work, I got to draw a page, a public domain, before I can you know review the notes on the night and then start working on a Daredevil script. Um, uh, yeah, once you once you just realize you just got to sit down and work, you can just do it. Um, that being said, <laughs> uh, I'm definitely at the point now where um, uh, the goal is to get the projects off my plate and to not bring any new ones on. Um, if I can get myself to a, a spot where it just ends up being, you know, Batman and another thing instead of the ten books, uh, that would probably be better for for me in the long run. Mm-hmm. Now, a question just about, I mean, obviously with with public domain when you're writing and you're illustrating like which which of you which versions of you do you think takes more of the lead in something like that like do you write sit down and write the script first or are you starting to think about it visually before you can even really write the script because you are the one who's going to be drawing it like which which half of your brain takes over first that's so funny I thought I could wing it a little bit because um because I'm like well, why would I write a full script like that's crazy I'm the one drawing it I don't have to sit down and write a full script mm-hmm. um 
so I just kind of like, you know, I, I wrote down kind of what the feel, what I kind of want to have happen on each page, you know, kind of broke it down that way. And just kind of drew it out, and I was going to put the dialogue in later. And it was so hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, just, I screwed myself. And so I kind of went back to basically writing full scripts for myself um, with, like, with doodles, too. So, like, you know, the first stage for a book like that is, like, in the notebook where I'm kind of sketching it out. Um, but then I have to translate it to a full script or else uh, I'm going to lose my way for sure. Um, but yeah, there, there are some things like I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll kind of figure out this dialogue later and I can actually do that at the lettering stage. A lot of it gets rewritten at that stage because I'm also lettering it. So I can like, I'm putting the words down and like it's kind of figuring out the flow and like, oh, maybe I didn't draw that character, you know, to match the dialogue I wanted. So I'll change the dialogue or redraw the character. Um, it's nice having that kind of control. There's no, there's no strong division there. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, yeah, it's fun to just kind of be able to tackle the whole thing. Did you find like when you did like obviously it's not the first time that you've illustrated and written a story, but did, did you find that the process of kind of trying to delineate that was different here as opposed to you know that issue of Spectacular Spider-Man? Like, did you have a different method there where you're able to go a little bit more freestyle there, or was it again you know full script and then you drew it first? Well, I mean, I definitely went tighter on the Spider-Man one, uh, mostly because, like, I'm less comfortable drawing superheroes, Mm -hmm. and also I still need the editor sign-off on the script. Oh, true. (laughs) Like, there's there's still all the stages there. Um, I can't kind of half-do it. You know, I can't, like, fully draw a color page and then, you know, submit that and then just a pencil page or whatever. Um, I had to show every step, so, um, but, but, you know, part of the reason that I convinced my editor to let me do that, uh, all myself was, um, I told him he only had one person to yell at, <laughs> and that was actually a selling point. There you go. Yeah. My, my last question, when yeah. you, when you ended Sex Criminals with Matt, how emotional an experience was that to kind of put that book to bed, have it come out, and that that part of your career is kind of over and I don't mean that in a negative way but I mean you know yeah. that that chapter is closed that collaboration on that particular project has ended and obviously it was such an impactful relationship between the two of you and it meant so much to you in your career what was that emotional process like to actually kind of put that last issue to bed and have it come out and have that be over it's a it's a weird one because there's multiple endings mm-hmm. um you know, I got super emotional uh, when Matt sent me the script and I read it through. Um, I got super emotional when I finished drawing it. Then emotional again when I kind of did the colors for it. Like, I, I, I remember, like, the last page, finishing the coloring. I'm like, oh, my God, I did it. Then I had to letter it. <laughs> and then I had to package it. And, oh, my God, the final uh, approval of the printing um, uh, pre-press that's you know that's emotional mm-hmm. it's like oh and then it's out in the world that's emotional <laughs> and then I had to put together the trade oh there you go and then the hardcover so it was like there's always there was always more to it um, but I think when I actually the the most emotional part was sending the PDF to Matt mm-hmm. um, because um, I don't really show him anything until it's done um I like to give them the PDF all at once. So being able to send that off, that was like, okay, okay, here we go. Uh, this is weird. Yeah, there's some tears. It's funny because I had tears at the beginning and at the end. Like, I remember 
crying when I got the box of comics and I opened it up and held it in my hands because I'd never really experienced that before. Mm. Um, that was really emotional. And then, um, and then, yeah, the same sending out that final PDF. It was the same kind of like teary moment, which I, again, I've never experienced on a book and uh, I'll probably never experience again. As you said, it was one of probably the most special book you ever work on for many reasons. Again, because it was your foray into comics and this amazing collaboration with your friend and like all those things combined would make it something so special that how could you ever, you know, truly recapture that? Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible. Like I'm sure we'll do like a, a sellout, you know, 25th anniversary <laughs> where we try and try and bring it back or whatever. Cause, uh, like our wives have left us and we have no money and <laughs> we need to do this. I mean, but, I'm sure uh, the fans yeah, will be, be there the for it. Yeah. With, 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 you know, waving their money, they'll be there. Mm, yeah, <laughs> maybe. I, I, I like to believe that that would be true. That if you know, if that ever happened, that they would be there. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to buy five different versions of Spider-Man Life Story, people are going to buy the 25th, you know, um, you know, uh, anniversary of Sex Criminals. Don't worry. That is true. That is true. <laughs> well, All right, I'll do it. <laughs> you said it here, so there you go. It's, it's real now. Yep. <laughs> but I also said I would uh, uh, die uh, <laughs> signing a contract to write Batman, so there That's true. Yeah, that didn't happen. Or at least that, maybe yep. that run on Batman hasn't started yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chip, thank you so much again for uh, agreeing to be on the show and having this chat. It was uh, great to talk to you about your work. And again, I'm, I'm such a huge fan, and uh, thank you for putting out such great books, even if you are so far away now and, and not able to come to my house. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> thanks again. All right. Thanks. Take it easy, man.